On today's ASA Health Podcast, we have Jeff Hall. Jeff has worked as a law enforcement officer over the last eight years with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. He is a SWAT team member and a DT instructor. Jeff is a blue belt in jujitsu and a graduate from the University of Florida. His most recent endeavor is running his new company, Finline Martial Arts, an apparel company whose mission is to promote martial arts within the law enforcement community. Jeff donates a portion of the proceeds to pay for law enforcement memberships at training dojos across New York State. Jeff is a hardcore nutrition advocate, father, and husband. Jeff, we want to welcome you to the ASA podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah, glad to yeah. have you here. Great. Yeah, we've got, some, we've got some good uh, good stuff to go over today, Jeff. You've been uh, super intriguing um, to me, at least since I've met you with a lot of the stuff that you're in. Um, I know I've mentioned a bunch of it to Andy. Um, so I want to just start off with like, your journey leading up to um, becoming a member of the DEC um, with the state of New York. What did that look like for you? Uh, well, I graduated or I started um, right back here in central New York. I graduated high school from uh, Oneida High School here and ultimately decided I want to go down to Florida to get a degree in environmental science. So that's what I did. I went down there. I went to community college and uh, gained residency and then transferred over to the University of Florida. Um, I worked for the University of Florida for a while doing all kinds of great projects down the Everglades and all the natural springs around Florida and, you know, some of the back swamps and lakes. And eventually um, I came up here on vacation and met my wife at a local uh, um, bar and ultimately it dragged me back up here. So I moved back up here, got a job at a local environmental place, and um, they weren't doing too well. So ultimately ended up in Albany at another environmental uh, science firm. And um, I did take the DEC test uh, pretty quickly out of college once I knew that was available. But the thing about DEC is we don't have regular um, academies. And especially back then, my academy was the first one in over five years. So... I became an environmental scientist out in Albany for a few years, and then finally they canvassed me for the DEC, and yeah, I, I jumped in, you know, both feet ready to go, and honestly, it's the best decision I've ever made next to Bernie and my wife. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the process to joining the DEC? I know, is there a civil service test and then yeah. an academy? Exactly. So, yeah, you, uh, you have to have uh, certain credit you have to have i believe 18 credit hours of environmental science credits they give you a whole list of things that qualify your biology and uh, any kind of general chemistry all those qualify um if you let's see you can have a four-year degree to get in with those credit hours or you can have two years of law enforcement and military service um with those credit hours and you can get in so and, i mean your, your primary that? role you said your primary role is uh chasing people that uh um, are doing things wrong up in the, well, in state parks and things like that, um, in areas that should be conserved? So, so we're, we're still state police. We're state DEC police. Um, so we, we enforce all state laws, but we also protect, you know, obviously we, we're specialists at protecting uh, the fish and wildlife of New York and the environment. So, I mean, we're doing air quality. We're doing all your solid waste cases. We're doing, obviously, all your hunting enforcement. And then all your fishing enforcement across the state. And when I say fishing enforcement, I mean, I worked on Long Island. Like I worked on lobster boats. 
um, clam boats. You do everything. You know, even guys recreationally clamming on the shoreline, we enforce that. The guys diving for oysters, we enforce that. So, well, I mean, there, there's a lot of a lot of duties to the job. So, I mean, but honestly, they're all fun. Man, yeah. Before we go on, I, I really appreciate what you guys do because you know, I I do a lot of hiking and rock climbing and stuff in uh, the Adirondacks oh, up here. And, yep. uh, you know, we, we see you guys every now and then, uh, last year, a friend of mine and I were doing a night session, doing some nighttime rock climbing up in the Adirondacks. And we had some floodlights up there so that we could see the rocks and right. uh, a DC guy actually hiked in cause he saw our floodlights from the road. Yeah. And just to make sure that we weren't doing anything wrong, you know, not causing any trouble or anything like that. And when he saw what we were doing, he just hung out with us for a few minutes. It was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, but I appreciate you guys are up there, uh, taking care of, uh, the land just like we do you know we try to be stewards for uh for the adirondacks anyway where i'm mostly active <laughs> jeff what jeff what do you think is um the most important role the dec plays like on a day-to-day basis like if tomorrow the dec disappeared what would be most affected because i know you said there's many roles that you play but like what do you think is the primary role what do you think that is honestly there's yeah i think we're in the like 200 and we're less than 250 right now for officers across the entire state. 250? Oh. I think it's closer to like 240, to be honest. I'm I'm not positive numbers, but I, I know it's it's much less than 300. I want to say it's around 250 or so. Oh. Well, I mean, we're wow. talking for officers across the entire state. And then, like you mentioned, I'm on our special operations team. There's only 20 mm-hmm. of us across the entire state on that team. So, wow. you know, when something really goes bad in the woods or, you know, maritime-wise on the water, you know, we're one of the teams that specialize in that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we're spread out all throughout the state. And mm-hmm. I, honestly, we just don't have enough guys to really do, you know, the, I think we could do a better job with more officers without a doubt. Sure, sure. sure. Wow. Now mentioning the SWAT team, I had a question um, for, for the listeners here. I'm sure they're intrigued by this, but you're a SWAT team member. So do you have any, um, like crazy experience that you'd want to share with people that <laughs> maybe sort of shock them with what you've crazy seen and done with that. Yeah. Oh man. Let me think. And we got a call of a lost two-year-old in mm-hmm. uh, a mountainous area of Southern New York. So literally in the middle of training, we packed up, we were lucky to be at the the place where we held a lot of our ATVs. We were in the Albany area and we uh, loaded everything up. We shot down there. And within, I believe, an hour and 15 minutes of uh, being down there, we found the two-year-old wow. 50 meters from a swamp, you know, wow. and he was out there. He had a little puppy that wandered off into the woods and he followed it. And he'd been out there since sometime that morning. And we found him at like 345 in the afternoon. <sighs> so, I mean, honestly, like that was one of the most rewarding days of my job, like not to get sentimental, but honestly, when I have like a tough day on the job and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, just you know, if you're dealing with somebody and they, they really give you a hard time over something that's so simple and you're just like, you know, shaking your head at it, but then you have days like that and you're just like, hey, so lucky to be doing what I do. So worth it. Wow. Yeah. hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. It's definitely a physical active dro- job for you. You know, I know that we've talked about uh, nutrition and fitness a lot, yeah. you know, Jeff, like yep. you're into jujitsu and keto, uh, the keto diet, like, can you give us an idea of what a normal day of eating looks like for you? I think the listeners would really want to hear that because you're, you're lean, you're strong, you're healthy. You know, what's a normal day of eating look like? Not normal, to be honest. <laughs> okay. it's, it's yeah. the exact opposite of the standard <laughs> good. American diet. Yeah, good. The standard American <laughs> diet is 300 grams of carbs. That's like mm. two months worth of carbs for me. 
Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I cheat, but when I cheat, like everyone knows when I cheat, it's going, it's ice cream and it's, <laughs> I'm just going to cheat for that one meal and that's it. And I'll bounce right back. And I usually punish myself and, you know, I'll get home from eating ice cream and I use that glucose for a good burst in the gym, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what it's like. A little rocket uh, fuel. <laughs> what's yes. that? Oh yeah. The extra fuel. But now, so I've been keto for over four years now. And what happened was um, I was doing a lot of training throughout the state um, for special operations and I was carb crashing. Like I, we need a big lunch or something. And then we train all afternoon and I'd be crashing hard, driving back to central New York and just honestly falling asleep at the wheel. So I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast with Don Biagostino out of uh, University of South Florida. And he explained, you know, the ketogenic diet. And I was like, wait a second, you have sustained energy like throughout the entire day. And I'm like, I got to get on board with this. So I immediately switched my diet, which was funny because we went on vacation like two days later to, uh, we went down to the, um, we actually went down to Florida, but we drove down, stopped and saw friends the whole way. So I was learning keto. Like my wife would drive and I'm like learning about keto as we're driving (laughs) down there and like eating macadamia nuts from the local gas station, (laughs) you know? So four years later, I tell everybody, like, I, I try to help a lot of people out with that diet. Anybody looking to lose some pounds and get some sustained energy and just, you know, honestly get better overall health. I uh, try to help them out and get them on the keto diet. And uh, I always tell them, though, I'm like, I, I screwed it up for long enough that, you know, I, I feel like I got a good handle on it at this point in my life. So, Jeff, with keto, what are the net net carbs per day? Um, what is that? So, so for the listeners, like explain what, what your carb intake looks like. Yeah, I'm sorry. So I never answered your original question of like what my diet looks like day to day. Um, so I do try to keep it between 20 and 25 grams of net carbs. So your net carbs are your total carbs minus your fiber. I try to avoid sugar alcohols, to be honest, just because I feel like that's still, it's still affecting your brain, still making you want things that are sweet. However, you know, yeah, I do have quest bars in the cabinet and when I'm on a job or something, I know I'm not going to have much time. You bet that's mm-hmm. going with me. Yep. So I try to make everything and try to, I mean, I became a baker. Like once uh, <laughs> I got on keto, you know, I was making weird, like, uh, you know, keto muffins and stuff. You know, I never, <laughs> never would have thought that happened, but, but yeah, I mean, so you're trying to keep it 20 to 25 grams of net carbs. And ultimately um, it's, it's a little difficult to do. I intermittent fast, I intermittent mm-hmm. fast a lot because for one thing, it helps my sleep pattern. You know, I'm able to get into a deeper REM sleep, you know, by making sure that I'm not eating after eight o'clock every night. Mm-hmm. And honestly, mm-hmm. I just feel better when I'm intermittent fasting. You know, sometimes being keto, like I'm kind of worried about what my next meal is going to be. So mm-hmm. I end up eating too much. And if, mm-hmm. even if I eat too much fat, I kind of feel a little, not sluggish, but feel a little off in my stomach. So intermittent fasting actually helps me like kind of maintain a good stable level mm-hmm. and not overeat and yeah, what is your window? What's your window for, for fasting? Cause like myself personally, I, I stopped eating at eight o'clock and it was, it was a cool point you brought up with better sleep, stopping yeah. eating by eight. Um, for me personally, that is what I do. I'm done eating by eight and then, um, I'm in bed by like nine 30, nine 45, maybe 10, but I sleep right. really, really good <laughs> and really heavy. Uh, but then I won't eat until probably nine thirty, ten o'clock the next day. Um, yeah. and that's my window. What's your window of fasting in a normal day? So, I mean, like I said before, if I go to jujitsu, I, I usually, it's tough. I, you know, I, I work long hours, a lot of days. 
So by the time we're eating dinner, sometimes it's, you know, 7 30, 8 o'clock, sometimes even nine. But I always try to shoot for 14 hours. Um, mm-hmm. but I prefer 16 hours. Mm-hmm. But days I'm doing jujitsu, honestly, it's like 13 and a half, 14 hours. Mm-hmm. But even then I feel better. You know, it's mm-hmm. most of again, the average is most Americans eat, you know, every was it 15 hours or um mm-hmm. they eat for a 15 hour period. Mm-hmm. So we're talking only, you know, nine hours or they're off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how many uh, times a day are you eating roughly do you have uh three meals a day four or five or does that vary so, honestly probably more like probably more like three and a half four like three with some snacking gotcha but yeah i don't try to like you know i used to be in that camp of you know you got to continuously eat to make sure your metabolism's like at a a good speed but honestly right. uh your metabolism does better when you're in fasting so true yeah it's not Um, what i'm worried about right now no definitely not um let's jump over to some fitness stuff here um so we know a big part of your fitness training is jujitsu um and same with myself me and you train two three four times a week together (laughs) we're pretty close training partners which is cool um why did you start training jujitsu. I know everyone's reason for starting that practice is very wide and varied, but like, why did you walk in the door the first day and start? I became a DT instructor in 2018 and our DT program had just switched over to largely jujitsu based. Thank God. Mm, mm. But, um, as soon as I did that, like it, it revealed some faults in my ground game for sure. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, before I was one of those guys like, oh, you know, the ground, it's not going, I'm not going to let it go to the ground. Yeah. It goes to the ground. Yeah. I'm not going to be the one going to the ground, you yeah. know, but that's, yeah. that's complete BS. Every fight goes to the ground and yeah. especially being in law enforcement. Like if you can't handle yourself on the ground and be able to, you know, control one, two assailants, like then mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have some issues. So that was immediately, you know, made aware to me. So I, I signed up at Dojo one right after that. And honestly, it was the best decision. I'm so happy with jujitsu. I can't imagine doing any other martial art that would be as effective for law enforcement. And I've just, I've been obsessed with it ever, ever since. You know, so as a, as a DT instructor, have you seen a difference in how you're instructing, teaching, coaching, mentoring people within those classes and seminars since you've been doing jujitsu for over two years now? Like what you see a huge difference, probably a thousand percent. So I'm going to be completely upfront here. My, my first time I had to go deal with a guy um, in Long Island, this guy was known to be like a fighter and like my knees were shaking going into like dealing with this guy. I had to go knock on this guy's door and like confront him about, you know, I think he jacked a deer and which means poached a deer like illegally. But um, like, you know, my knees were shaking. I'm like, oh God, this, I don't know how this is going to go. And honestly doing jujitsu, I have never God, in like two years, I have not had any feeling of even any anxiety going into a hands-on situation. And I mean, that almost to a fault, you know, but what it does for me, like it it allows me to be, you know, to have better situational awareness. I can see what's going on. If all of a sudden the situation unfolds and the guy grabs a gun, I'm able to, because I'm not in the black, my heart's not pounding already because I'm scared. I'm able to recognize cover. You know, I can get to cover right next to me because my situational awareness is there, or I can recognize um, an unknown, like a person walking at, at me that may be a good, a good person or someone trying to harm me. 
you know, it just allows me to be able to take in everything around me because my heart's not pounding. I'm not in the black, you know, where I just can't focus because I'm so nervous about what's directly in front of me. I don't get tunnel vision. You know, I'm able to deal with what's in front of me in a calm, you know, a calm way that, you know, doing jujitsu, we grapple with, you know, a dozen of the best grapplers in our county several times a week. These guys are highly trained. A lot of them, you know, they're trying to mess you up, you know, <laughs> cover your mouth when they get you in a submission. Like, you know, they're yeah. really trying to like, you know, mess with you sometimes. So mm-hmm. these are guys that are highly trained. So, you know, if I deal with these guys pretty well in the gym, I feel good against going against the average person out on the street. And even if they're trained, you know, I'm ready for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, another thing is like being comfortable with discomfort. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in a position, you know, you're in a gi and somebody's on top of you and they're, too, you know, our buddy Travis, he's, he's like 300 pounds when yep. he puts all of his weight on you and he's yep. like wrestling with you, trying to kill you, you know, like yep. you're, you're not in a comfortable position. So being comfortable with discomfort and be able to think through things and clearly get an idea of like, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to convince them to go this way, shift their weight so I can get out of it and go back this way. Like jujitsu has done all that for me. And in doing that, like, I feel like out on the street as an officer, I just feel completely different than I did before. I just feel so much more secure and not to say that someone can't, you know, sucker punch me. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a terminator out there or anything. I could definitely get taken down, you know, I'm sure, you know, fairly easily. It's just that I personally feel way more comfortable, which gives me, you know, an advantage compared to where I was before. And that's the whole idea is trying to be a better, you know, better version of yourself every day. Do you predict that uh, jujitsu is going to find its way into law enforcement more? I heard Joe Rogan recently talking about how he thinks that every police officer and trooper should be trained in jujitsu. It's just the most effective uh, martial art to know when you're out there on duty. And he thinks that every law enforcement agency should be training in jujitsu. Do you think you're going to see more of that in the future? Is it on the rise? Honestly, I think it absolutely is. I think it's inevitable. I mean, even if agencies don't want it to be, you know, part of the curriculum, I, I guys like me, you go, you, you know, as soon as you face somebody that knows jujitsu and it is incredibly humbling, like after that, you're like, you're left with no other option than to get in there and train and figure out what the heck you're doing, yeah. you know? So I, I, I really do. And, um, you know, the more I'm out there in that space, the more I see, you know, guys, you know, I, as a special operations off uh, SWAT operator, like a lot of times we'll go on these big jobs and after we catch the guy, we're all hanging out talking and we're all BSing and having a good time, you know, swapping like police patches and talking. And what comes up is like, oh yeah, you know, I train at the local gym over here or when I'm out of town, I'll go and actually like call up these local gyms and I'll train jujitsu at a local mm-hmm. gym while I'm training for maritime tactical down in Orange County. But um, you find out that a lot of law enforcement are already in these gyms and they're already training and that it's just a growing trend. You know, one thing that you mentioned, Jeff, which was really interesting, was that you find yourself more calm in those situations because of your experience, right? Doing, let's say, 15 live rounds at jujitsu a week. So conflict and contact isn't foreign to you. (laughs) So when you go through the door, instead of having a heart rate of 170, tunnel vision, jitters, You're at a 110, 120, ready to go to a 170 if you need to, but you're able to be calm, collective, and to think clearly and make the right decision. I think that 
is a really, really good point, regardless of being, uh, you know, a superhero jujitsu black belt, like we're blue belts, right? But yeah. having that ability to stay calm and collective and think your way through, talk your way through and operate with that level of control, I think is huge. And I saw yesterday, Renner Gracie on Instagram posted, I don't know if you saw this video. Um, there was a police officer with um, someone down, face down, and they were struggling really, really hard to keep this guy under control. They couldn't get handcuffs on him. The police officer was a big jack dude, but so was the guy he was trying to control. This yeah. skinny guy, like my size, like 165, 5'10", like walks up and controls this, um, the, the guy that they're arresting, like with ease, he gets him in the figure four Kimura lock, you know, he's got knee, knee on his back, nice and gentle. And he's just, but his common collective, he was at probably a heart rate of 80 and he was yeah. walking the officer verbally through cues with like underhooks and different kinds of leverage points to get this guy in handcuffs. And it was amazing at how calm and under control this guy was. And the officer, who again was probably sixty pounds more muscle on this guy, He's a big than, guy. Than yeah. The, yeah, you saw this, right? Yeah. Yep. His heart rate was like probably one eighty. His face is oh, bright red, and yeah. he was about to have a stroke. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The other guy, like you said, he was skinny. He was calm, and he wasn't dressed for it. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> He's just like chatting away. He's like, yeah, grab the underhook roll him here. And then he's like applying pressure and he's not letting the dude yeah. move. And then he couldn't get his arm behind his head. And he's like, just hold on, hold on. He's just yoking that elbow, yoking it. He's like, it'll break. <laughs> and then yeah. poof, it pops through. But it was really interesting. You mentioned how like the, the calm and you don't have the tunnel vision. I think that's a really good point. Um, whether you're in law enforcement or not, or, or, you know, a female on the street and you're in an odd situation, just having the ability to breathe, think and see things clearly because you're, you're confident or somewhat confident of able to do things correctly. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, so, that, lack, yeah. that lack of panic prevents mistakes from being made too. You know, I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. that's a really, yeah. that's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And so I was saying earlier that like our, you know, the DCJS um, program did switch our defensive tactics program to mostly jujitsu based. So they did that now, I believe it was 2018. Um, so I've been in, I've been in a few incidents, um, recently where, you know, I did have to use those skills and honestly, like it was great Re uh, really recently. I had a guy, I mean, you know, I took a guy down and was able to, you know, leg lock him and hold him there and exactly what they show us. And he immediately knew what to do. And he went right to the head, put pressure on the head, exactly how we're taught. So that's another like good thing. Like if guys actually know what they're doing, and they are taught like the new DCGS curriculum and they actually pay attention. It's so great being able to work with two different agencies and where you can just, you know, jump into a situation and you guys both know what to do. I was back, you know, three years ago, I was walking into a bad situation with a guy and I go, I'll get legs, you get top. And he just looked at me and like, you know, smoke coming out of his ears. I was like, all right, so this is what you're going to do. You know, <laughs> when we find him, this, this is what you need to do. But like, if guys are getting the DT training that they need right now, and even if you're, you know, you're not up on your DT, you should be up on your DT with your agency, but um, it just makes it so much better when you do. I mean, when you do end up working with another agency, you know, if you're both on the same page and that's the same thing, like active shooter, you know, now throughout the entire state, we're all trained the same way for active shooters. And, 
you know, it, it just makes things so much more cohesive when there is an incident that's unfolding. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, so hopefully now, uh, it'll keep unfolding. Yeah. So your training in jujitsu has um, turned into you building a company. I want to talk about that. Yeah. So I'm representing today. Um, yeah, and, my man. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Um, company is called Thin Line Martial Arts. Um, yeah. I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. So, like, tell us about um, what Thin Line Martial Arts is. So basically, um, I started going to jujitsu um, in, I mean, back a few years ago. But recently, I started noticing that there's more and more law enforcement in there, and I'm like, this is a great trend. We need to keep this going. And you know, again, everything we talked about today. Um, I just wanted to start spreading awareness to those that didn't know, you know, I want more people to know that jujitsu really is. I mean, it's like a freaking, it's like a superpower out there. Like I, I, I love it. Like I tell my four-year-old all the time, I'm like, you want to be a superhero, learn jujitsu, dude, I will show you. But it's like the ability for someone so small to be able to handle someone much larger than them very easily. I just, I was like, this is something that needs to be in law enforcement. You know, I've been in situations firsthand where I've used it again and again and again, and it worked out very well. And basically, I was like, we need to be able to have, you know, just more awareness. So the way I was looking at it was, you know, I'm going to start some kind of an apparel company. Um, you know, we do patches, stickers, shirts. Uh, we're going to be doing um, rash guards and, you know, like gear bags and all that kind of stuff. But basically, it's as to act as a billboard just for guys that, you know, are in law enforcement, you know, they're wearing their jujitsu shirts around and just, you know, having people strike up conversation with them like, Oh, jujitsu, you know, what's that about? I've heard about it. And then they start explaining it to them and hopefully they can convince them to take those first few steps through the door, you know? And on top of that, you know, I'm trying to work with gyms and uh, just get people, get them through the door. So what I'm doing with um, a company out of Baldwinsville or a, a gym out of Baldwinsville, Haven Jiu-Jitsu under Ben Zellini, he does a great job. Um, he's a black belt and he, he contacted me. He's like, Jeff, you know, we, we think we could do with your company to get more law enforcement guys, you know, through my doors. I'm like, well, let's do uh, 50% of all profits that I make in your gym from any, anything sold at your gym, 50% of all profits go towards law enforcement memberships. And he is like, I love it. You know, I'm on board. Let's do this. And he's a great guy and he he's pushing it hard. So I'm hoping to do the same thing for other gyms and just keep the ball rolling. You know, I just want to get a lot of times, you know, some guys don't have the money to go to jujitsu. It can be expensive depending on where you are and whether they have law enforcement discounts, which a lot of gyms do have law enforcement discounts or, you know, a monthly discount, you know, a one-time deal where uh, you can just come try it out for a month. So the main thing is, is getting through the doors, seeing that it's not a big, scary place. Honestly, there's some of the coolest people you'll ever met, meet. And you're going to learn a lot along the way. You know, so I'm hoping to continue to spread the word. To that point about, you know, getting people through the door and getting them to just try it. I've never done jujitsu. I've never tried it before. So kind of a question for both of you guys. But do you find that when people try it for the first time, it tends to be something that they just get instantly hooked? Or do you find that most people drop out after a while or most most people stay? Who are the type of people that stay? Who are the type that drop out? Um, what, what would you say about that? Either of you guys. Josh, go for it. <laughs> well, if they're rolling with EJ first, then they quit. Right <laughs> away. I'm sure EJ will listen to this. <laughs> um, no, like, um, so people, what I've seen is someone that holds on to their ego, um, they generally won't last. 
Um, so if you go in there thinking like you're a fitness dude and you're strong and this person is smaller than me or this girl can't tap me out or whatever, and then all five or six of your rounds are a nightmare for the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say nightmare, not being from a perspective of injury or anything, because everyone, not everyone, most humbling. people are. Yeah, it's very humbling. So unless you can reframe that in your mind, you quit, you will, you know, say you've got injured or tweak, or, you know, I've got to work or this or that. But what, what I've found is a lot of it is you not being okay with tapping more (laughs) and just being cool with like the process of what I call being calloused. Like you're just getting more calluses, more calluses, more calluses. And so now the people that I've seen last, um, and again, I'm only just under three years in, so it's not like I'm a huge veteran with this, but um, the people that are, are cool with learning, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're methodically moving through drills. They're asking intelligent questions. Um, they're okay with tapping. Um, you know, they're not going psycho every round thinking that it's a competition. Those people last. And I think though they're in it more for the long haul. So Jeff, do you have a, another viewpoint on that? No, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, another thing, I, I just think that like anyone competitive in nature, I mean, the fact that like we can still compete at, I'm 37 years old. I did a competition two years ago. Like the fact that, you know, I'd like to do another one this year the fact that we can still compete in something at this age yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, totally. and the fact that you can continue getting better at something in this age. So when you show up and you're immediately humbled by, you know, 135 pound female that just destroys you. Thank you, Mindy. Um, yep. then you, yep. you know, after, after that, it's just like, all right, well, if she just, she could have just killed me right there. Like mm-hmm. definitely just choked me out. She yeah. literally let me live. So I need to know this like immediately. So, I mean, after a humbling situation like that, I mean, you're just, yeah, you're banging down the door to get back in and learn it. So the advice to the beginner is set your ego aside and just embrace learning. Know that it's a long process and you're there to learn for the long term. Yeah. And I mean, another thing is just, you know, calm breathing. You you know, everybody, everybody in the beginning, you just overexert yourself and you, you try to do everything you can to muscle this person. Like, you're not going to be able to somebody with a couple months on is going to beat you every single time. And you just got to, you know, try to survive. And as you survive, you learn different things and you're not even going to know that you're learning it, but you are going to learn like, you know, that if their weight shifts this way, you can slide out this way. You know, you're going to learn things without even knowing that you're learning them. And you just got to try to survive when you first start and you know, you're going to be amazed at the results. And another thing too, Andy, with that, I'll chime in is, um, you know, being a good training partner <laughs> is mm-hmm. huge. So if you are going into your live rounds, like I said, you're revving it like a 10 out of 10 and you're out of control and you're going for these submissions hard and, you know, you're flaring and things are, you know, sort of wacky. The, the inverse of that is your partner and if you're new, more than likely your partner is a lot better than you is going to respond with the same power. Mm. And so, and Jeff's shaking his head. So like, if you go at someone, um, full bore and they're, they're not going to gently, in most cases, let you down, (laughs) they're going to counter. And then, 
you know, that leads to a lot of frustration, pain, injuries. Um, but if you're a calm, collective, respectful training partner, doesn't mean you can't go hard or try your hardest, but there's a difference between being like a psychopath, um, and being new, <laughs> that's a bad combination, um, and versus a good training partner. I was told that years ago, um, just be a good training partner and you want people, people will want to roll with you and it'll be under control and you're both learn a lot. There's a lot to be be said for that, I think. Yes. Um, cool. So let's, uh, let's move on. I have one more question, Jeff, um, for yeah. your, about your company. And then we'll get into a few miscellaneous, uh, questions we ask everyone. So with your thin line martial arts company, um, you know, long-term vision, five years, 10 years, have you not thought that far? What do you foresee with this company? I mean, honestly, I'd really like it to see it just continue to grow to the point where, you know, we're all over the place in gyms, just selling our gear everywhere. And exactly like I have with Haven Jiu-Jitsu, 50% of all profits go towards law enforcement. You know, I have a full-time job. I'm not in this to make like to become, you know, rich or anything. I literally just want to get law enforcement through the door. And I, I see this as a good avenue of doing it. So honestly, awesome. I'd like to just you know, really be able to expand, um, to a lot more gyms that we're, we're available at or our merch merchandise is available at. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, just, uh, become a household name among jujitsu. Mm -hmm. uh, out of curiosity, I'm looking at your website right now and your, your t-shirts are phenomenal. Who does your design? <laughs> do you design? Oh, I do everything, man. So yeah, I'm really? like, I, I'm that guy yeah. that everybody knows. Like I, I'm a meme guy. Like I can do Photoshop anything. Like everybody will send me pictures and they'll be like, Hey, I caught a picture of so-and-so doing this. You've got like on my special operations team. That's all we do is just rag on each other. So they'll be like, Hey, I got our team leader doing this. He's like eating a cake, looking crazy. So all of a sudden I'll do something really wild with the picture, but I literally brought those useless meme skills to uh, designing uh, shirts and everything. Not so and useless I, I actually really enjoy it. What's that? Not so useless after all. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, 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 so like we said, I'm a husband, I'm a, a father of two boys and one of them's a 10 month old. So I, I get like, you know, we, no one in this house gets sleep right now. So I usually take them <laughs> five o'clock every morning. Um, I give my wife a break and she's been up with them all night and I take them and while he's sleeping on my shoulder, cause it's the only way he'll sleep. Then I sit there and like, you know, I don't like being on my phone, but like, you know, I sit there and do my, my designs for my shirts or, you know, do all my business stuff first thing in the morning before I go to work. And get it out of the way for the day. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very well, cool. Nice job. These shirts do look incredible. Really nice. I appreciate that. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So, um, all right. So this is a portion of the show, Jeff, where, um, I have three questions. Um, just, you can answer these right off the cuff, um, give viewers some insight into some unique things here. So, uh, what are one to three books that have had a big influence on your life? Um, Jocko Willings, discipline equals freedom or, um, sorry, extreme ownership. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was huge for me. Like, uh, you know, I, I took, I read that and I believed in it wholeheartedly, you know, extreme ownership. Like if there is something, if, if something happened, happened one way or another, you're responsible for it. Like if it affected your life, like you could have done something differently and to make the outcome better. And just by taking ownership and not pointing fingers, you see it in everyday life now. And you realize that when somebody like points fingers and posts blame on someone else for something that they may have, may or may not have done, 
like you instantly like you drop a little respect for them, you know, and just by owning what you did. And honestly, I, I tell everybody like when they're like, you know, when I go to a wedding and they're like, you know, advice for the bride and groom, I'm like, learn how to say you're sorry. I'm like, honestly, it took me a few years and I wish I learned way sooner than that. Because as soon as I started owning my mistakes and saying like, listen, I messed up. You're right. You know, I definitely should have thought this through. I wasn't thinking about you. Like the fight's over. Like, that's it. You know, you're no longer fighting with your spouse. You know, you learn from it. So I, I think extreme ownership was a big one. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same theme. Uh, can't hurt me. David Goggins. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone's read that. That's, that's such a good book. Um, his 40% rule is absolutely God. I love that. Like, so basically when he says that, when you think you are completely exhausted and you have nothing else left in the tank, you've only reached 40% of your potential. Yep. And yep. dude, I, nothing, Josh, you remember that tournament we did in 2019. I came yep. over to you before I just, I won the gold medal in, uh, in Guy and I was going for the no, they're like, as soon as I got done, I step off the mat. They're like, all right, your gold medal match for, uh, no gi is is ready and i was yep. like literally i didn't even get a, a foot off the mat yet and i'm like yeah like josh i'm like you got any electrolytes man i'm like i'm dying i'm like i don't know if i can make it like i don't know what i'm gonna do and mm-hmm. oh man my body was cramping up and i was like i was not ready to throw in the towel but i was like looking for anything to buy me like an extra minute and yeah i just went out there and i hadn't i thought i had nothing left in the tank and mm-hmm. i ended up you know submitting the guy with a, a v-lock and Mm-hmm. you know the feeling i had afterwards and that i still have remembering back to that i'm just like man he's right 40 percent rule you know i mm-hmm. thought i was absolutely gassed and i still had some in the tank even though i didn't know it was there mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. a big one mm-hmm. um god what's another one those are two good ones man I, we're yeah. big fans of jocko we're huge fans of david goggins um i yep. think that those two promote self-responsibility which is something in today's culture that we're missing (laughs) in many cases. Um, And a lot of people don't like Jocko and um, David Goggins for their messaging because it's so brutal. Um, But when you, when you start living with full responsibility for your actions and outcomes, I think you start respecting people like that much more. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I, I, I think that's awesome. Um, second question, if you could put up a road sign anywhere, what would it say and why? A road sign anywhere, what would it say? If it takes you a while to come up with an answer, Josh asks this question of everyone and I still don't know what my answer is. I, I think I got one. I, I would probably say, honestly, you know, I mean, it's going to, you know, coming from me, you guess this, but respect your environment so that your children have a chance to, you know, awesome. that's it. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. When you look at the amount of pollution uh, and trash on the side of the road, right? Like, that, yeah, that yeah. could, that could help. I mean, even like, you know, don't, don't, you know, abide by the regulations. We have regulations in place. So you don't, you don't overtake the amount of fish because, you know, we have a carrying capacity for that area. And as soon as you take too many, it's going to take a long time to build them back up to that area or build them back up in that area. If we ever have a chance or same thing with deer, you know, or, you know, like you said, you know, dump solid waste dumping, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, contaminated area with hazardous metals, contaminated area with air pollution, you know, it goes, the list goes on and on, but there's so many ways you can destroy your environment with such, you know, so easily with such little care. 
So mm-hmm. I definitely think people need to uh, consider what they're doing and how it's going to affect future generations. Yeah, yeah and so, you, I, so agree. I spend so much time uh, in the woods uh, doing my rock climbing and stuff. Uh, I really appreciate the people who came before me that respected the environment. You know, um, yeah. we, we do a trash pickup every year where we go into a local climbing area and pick up all the litter that's kind of accumulated over the year. Um, but that's been going on since way before me. And I'm super appreciative that those people did that because, you know, I got to grow up and enjoy this place that without people taking care of it, it would have been not as much fun or not as pleasant for me to be there. So exactly. Huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great that you guys do that. Okay. Last question um, for this section. So uh, do you have a favorite failure, Jeff, of yours? Favorite failure. Favorite failure. My biggest failure was not, not, not caring enough throughout uh, academics in high school and college. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I cared more about hanging out with my buddies and having a good time than you know, in college, don't get me wrong. Like I studied hard. I worked for the university of university of Florida doing great environmental science stuff. That was fun. And, you know, it was very pertinent, but at the same time, like I could have been, I could have done way more and like Mm. just been more involved than I, than I was. I cared too much about, you know, just having a good time. Mm. And I looking back, like that's, that's always something that I always like, you know, look back on and think of how much of a waste it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that shaped I, you because, that. because you learned from it. You know, you, you regretted right. it afterwards, and it shaped you to the point where now you're not going to make that mistake again. I, I do agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, conclusion here. So, if you could give listeners uh, one piece of advice that may improve the quality of their life, what would it be? Your diet. Um, you you got to change your diet. Get rid of processed foods. Get rid of sugar. Yeah, that's it. I mean, honestly, I always say ditch, ditch the sugar. Um, I started an Instagram account. It, it's keto.cop, K-E-T-O dot K-O-P. And I did that because I had so many buddies that were in law enforcement. They're like, all right, fine. You know, all right. You know, I've heard you talk about keto for years. Finally, I'm ready to listen. Talk to me. And I'm like, I had a lot of guys that have asked me that over the years. So I finally just put everything on Instagram and I'm like, just check it out. I'm, because, you know, it breaks down keto for you. But not only that, it breaks down your gut health. Like I believe in gut health wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And Josh, I've told you this before. Like I had the worst asthma out of anyone mm-hmm. I've ever met in my entire life. Like today, I've never met anybody that had worse asthma than me as a kid. I was on nebulizer four times a day. I had antibiotics pumped into me nonstop steroids oh. all the way up until 2015. I was taking really? daily yeah. steroids twice a day. And even throughout high school, I'd take a nebulizer once a day. But I still played football and everything and still had my albuterol inhaler right with me. But at the same time, like if I didn't have that inhaler or if I skipped one dose of, stero- of uh, you know, breathable steroids, then mm-hmm. I'd be wheezing like I was ready to have an asthma attack. And sometimes I did. Um, but in 2015, my brother-in-law, who's a nutritionist, and I mean, he's not just a nutritionist. The guy knows everything about it. He's like, like you guys. He's just very well-versed in it. And he, uh, for Christmas, his present to me was... Uh, uh, I say milk kefir, but it's actually kefir, but, uh, he gave me milk kefir and I was like, I ran out of medicine. It was Christmas, 2015. He gave that to me. I ran out of medication and it was really expensive. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll get it as soon as I start wheezing a little bit again. And a few weeks went by and I'm like, what the heck? Like, you know, I'm not wheezing at all. Continue take drinking this milk kefir every single day, one cup of it every day. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden a few months went by. Same thing. No problem. No, nothing at all. So then I started researching it and they're talking about how your gut health is so like, uh, so in tune with your, your lungs and your alveoli function. 
And I was like, man, this might really, you know, be something at the time. My wife was drinking a lot of kombucha. So I started drinking kombuchas. And then, um, once I switched to keto, I started doing uh, like a water kefir that's, um, lower in uh, carbs, but, um, now I'm to the point. So anyway, so years went by, ultimately I have not taken any medication since Christmas, 2015. So we're talking, it'll be six years this Christmas. And it's the craziest thing. It's like, I woke up a new person. Like before that, like I could always run everything I had to like, but I had to make sure I had my medication. If I wasn't taking my medication regularly, I was not able to, you know, run to be able to pass my fitness test for, for special operations or for, um, Mm -hmm. for DEC to get into the Academy and everything. Like I was able to, you know, be active and do these things, but I relied on my medicine so much. Like I couldn't skip a day, nothing like that. Well, literally as soon as I got my gut health in check, I mean, I, at any point, I know I can go outside right now and I can run five to six miles without a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to do it at a pretty good pace. I can mm-hmm. still, I know I can go hit the heavy bag and I'm not going to have mm-hmm. any issues whatsoever. Jujitsu, mm-hmm. I've never even thought like the idea of having asthma attack has never even occurred to me in three years, you know? So I like, that was another big thing of that keto.cop Instagram was like, I just wanted to put it out there for people that have asthma. Like, honestly, give it a try. Give it a try. Just look up like different probiotics. All right. Start yourself on a probiotic. I try to do at least some kind of gut health um, probiotic every day, whether that's just a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, mm-hmm. kombucha, um, milk kefir, or mm-hmm. sauerkraut, like just mm-hmm. something that, you know, feeds your, your gut because that's the way we're evolved to live. So I can't, I can't say enough good things about, you know, just gut health. So mm-hmm. if you want to change your health, get rid of the sugar, ditch the processed foods, try intermittent fasting. If you can, if you can't, then, you know, really work on your gut health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really want listeners to hear that too, because we always talk about how connected everything is in the body. And yeah. a lot of people wouldn't think that a change in your diet could alleviate an asthma problem, but it's amazing what things will Remarkable. fix, what problem issues you're dealing with that will resolve. If you just, like you said, ditch the processed food, ditch the sugar, eat a clean, healthy diet and actually nourish yourself. You'd be amazed right. at the things that you think aren't related to diet that it suddenly improve. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, that's huge. Wow. That's, I didn't know that Jeff, that was that severe for yeah. you. That's quite a story. That is awesome. Um, I appreciate the I, ability to share it. Cause honestly, like yeah. I, I've given milk uh, kefir to so many people. Anytime somebody tells me that their niece or their nephew or a family member has asthma, I'm like, listen, I'm going to give you something, you know, you're not going to, it doesn't taste great. It's sour milk sitting out on the counter, you know, with these like, yeast and bacteria grains in the, <laughs> the, the lactose out of it. So, you know, throw it in a smoothie or something, but you know, I know the benefits of it. So, I mean, honestly, like I eat the grains, I'll sit there before I'm running out the house, I'll swig it right out of the jar. That's been sitting on the uh, counter for four days. You know, usually I try to only have it sitting there for 24 to 48 hours, but sometimes it goes longer and I just swig it and run. And I'm like, run out the door, but it's funny, man. Even if I start having like, um, asthma symptoms, like I'm allergic to cats and Go figure. My my wife actually got her cat one week before we met, twelve years ago. So of course I've had a cat for twelve years, even though I'm allergic <laughs> to cats. But if I'm around at a real lot or something, um, and I haven't had milk kefir, you know, several days, then um, I'll start like wheezing just a little bit. I'll literally chug a cup of that, and my symptoms are gone within twenty minutes, and I'm good for at least like three weeks. Awesome. It, it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. And man, man, while people listening to this, if you're not inspired to get your diet in check, 
you know, man, I'd listen to that again. <laughs> That's awesome. Jeff, how can, um, how can listeners learn more about thin line martial arts and purchase, um, some cool ass apparel from you? Uh, it's just the website's the easiest way to go. Uh, www.thinlinemartialarts.com. You can purchase everything right on there. We accept all major forms of payment. Um, we're also on Instagram. We're, we're most active on Instagram. Um, it's thin line martial arts. Just type, I believe it's yeah, thin underscore line underscore martial underscore arts. Um, and then on Facebook, same thing, thin line martial arts. But we do a lot of posts um, just talking about jujitsu and about the benefits for law enforcement. And yeah, we just share things that are, um, you know, all things jujitsu and, you know, obviously try to promote our items to get more people uh, wearing the gear and spread the awareness along among the uh, law enforcement community. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Jeff, uh, this is great chat. Um, very insightful, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, thank you for your time and, uh, hopefully listeners, um, uh, took a lot. <laughs> oh, Josh froze up on us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but we do really appreciate you being on, man. It was a really great conversation. And yeah, thanks for what you do too out there on the job. Thank you very much. And honestly, it's great meeting guys like you that are out there actually, you know, recreating and enjoying nature like you do. So we appreciate everything you do. And I really appreciate the podcast you guys are doing. You're doing a phenomenal job and really putting out some good uh, material out there. And I, awesome. I appreciate the ability I to have a platform to spread some of this info. All right. Really appreciate it. Oh, Josh is back. All right. Hey, Josh, right. you're back. <laughs> I don't know where thanks I went. A lot, Josh. <laughs> All right, Jeff, we'll talk soon and thank you. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. All Take right. Care. Bye. All right.